So 1 John chapter 1, you'll find it on page 1158 of the Church Bibles, if you're following. And it's headed, The Incarnation of the Word of Life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we proclaim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we, do not, we have not sinned, we have made him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Indeed. You may remember that uh, the last time I was with you, we were um, commencing this study in uh, this letter of John, and I reminded you that John actually wrote this letter in order that we could be sure of our faith, that we could be sure that we were Christians. God doesn't want us um, to have any uncertainty. He wants us to be really sure that we're members of his family. And uh, this morning we're going to carry on by looking at uh, verses 5 through to 10. And it actually starts off by um, telling us something about God. I don't know uh, whether you um, have ever sort of had a a conversation uh, with someone and said, well, what is God like? And uh, I can remember many years ago, and it was many years ago, because my grandson is 18 this year, um, but when he was about four, he was um, at the kitchen table and he had his pencils and his crayon out and uh, he was obviously doing a picture. And uh, Lisa, my daughter-in-law, said to him, what are you drawing, um, Joshua? And he said, I'm actually drawing a picture of God. And uh, Lisa said to him, well, you know, you can't draw a picture of God because no one knows what God is like. To which my grandson replied, well, they will do when they see my picture. And that is Joshua's picture of what God is like. And uh, you see that God's got a halo uh, because he's pure and he's holy. You'll see he's got arms and legs and a nose and eyes. And so he's actually just like us. In fact, it's the other way around, isn't it, really? We've actually been made in the image of God. So that was uh, Joshua's picture of what God was like. But here, in, uh, in this letter... John makes it clear that there are two aspects to God's nature. And if you look at uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, you'll see that it says, God is light. And that in fact means that God is spiritually perfect. 
And that's why we are made in the image of God, because we are spiritual beings. I'm sure you're all aware of that spiritual nature um, that you have, and we're all on a spiritual journey. And so that's part of the reason why we've been made in the image of God, because we too, like God, are spiritual beings. And there's nothing else in creation like us. We are unique because we are created in God's image. And God is morally excellent as well. And interestingly enough, you know, we have that sense of, of morality. Wherever people may be in their lives, nevertheless there is that sense of morality, that sense of wanting justice, that sense of wanting and to put things right and for things to be right in our lives. And God is also utterly transcendent. There is no one in the world like God. He is totally incomparable. And so this God of light is there as the God that we worship and the God we adore. He is pure, he is holy, and he is righteous. And he says to us, that's how I want you to be as well. And as we've participated in this wine today, in this remembrance of Christ's shed blood, we appreciate the fact that that's what God wants to do. He wants to cleanse us. That The uh, Anglican service talks about the cleansing and the renewing of our hearts, the washing um, that comes through um, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. So God here is a God of justice. He is a God of light. He is looking for purity. He is looking um, for a transparency in our lives. Now if we turn over to 1 John and to chapter 4 and verse 8, we see the other side of God's nature. And this is part of the balancing of God's nature. Because if you look at John 1, and it's chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then in verse 16, John repeats this again because it is such a key thing that we need to know about the nature of God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And by this we sense that God is actually the source of love. God is love. If you want a, a definition of, of love, it is what God is like. A God who is full of compassion. A God who is full of mercy. Mercy means that, that God actually forgives us even though we do not deserve it. And it takes us back to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life so God is true he is faithful he is forgiving and not only is he a transcendent God but he is also an imminent God he actually is not only above all things he is in all things and the most amazing thing about scripture is it tells us that actually God indwells us through his Holy Spirit we are in fact temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives in all believers. And so this is the, the aspect of God, the God of justice and yet the God of grace. The God who judges and yet the God 
who forgives. And we need to hold this intention because God's grace shows his extended love towards us, the sinners. So as we go back to uh, chapter 1 and at verse 5, we see here that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so that's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In doing that, Jesus was actually claiming to be God. I am was a clear declaration from the Old Testament who Jesus was. I am was saying to the religious leaders, was saying to the world, I actually am God here in human form. But also, I am the light of the world. I am the one who gives direction. And I'm sure that many of you um, have actually seen that amazing painting of Holman Hunt, um, which is actually in St. Paul's Cathedral, where you have this wonderful picture of Jesus as the light of the world. And when it was first put on display, I don't know whether you know, but when it was first put on display, um, someone had the audacity to go up to Holman Hunt and uh, to tell him that he'd actually made a mistake in his painting. And uh, Holman Hunt said, what do you mean? Where have I made the mistake? And they said, well, if you look at the door, um, there's no handle on the outside. And uh, Holman Hunt said, well, that's what the Bible tells us. Actually, if Jesus is knocking on the door, he will never ever force himself in. The handle is actually on the inside. It's you that has to invite him into your life. And that's the amazing thing about our faith. It's not something that we can force upon anyone. And God never forces his way into our lives. He's there waiting for that invitation to come in and to come in and be the Lord and Saviour, the Master and the King. That's where he wants to be in each one of our lives. So here we've not only got the fact that God is light, but also that God incarnate was light as well. And of course, when we think of light, we often think of light as being directional, don't we? We often think of light showing us the way, you know. The, the Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so often we think of light, we think it as directional. But of course there is the other side of light. Light exposes things. Light just doesn't show, light actually exposes things. And as we begin to read through the word of God, we begin to find that it exposes as God's light comes into us, it begins to expose in our lives those things which are ungodly, those things that are unrighteous. And as we read through God's word, suddenly we're challenged to think, actually, that's grieving God. What I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, actually, that's not what God, a righteous, holy God, would want in my life. And as we go through this passage now, we find there are three things here which um, are exposing false claims that can actually take place, not only in the world, but actually in our own lives. And as you look at the passage, each one of them begins with the words, if we claim, if we claim. And uh, these can be classed as errors, or they can also be classed as heresies, because the first one in verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness 
and we lie and do not live by the truth. Now this is actually called antinomianism, which is a gloriously long word, which basically means is I can sin with impunity. It doesn't matter whether I sin because I'm no longer under law, I am under God's grace. And therefore, having now been saved, it doesn't matter if I continue in sin. If uh, it says here, you know, if um, we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, i.e. that we're sinning, then in actual fact, it goes on to say, we lie and we do not tell the truth. And in fact, it can even go further, interestingly enough, in people's thinking. They can actually move on and say, okay, if I am covered by grace, then actually, the more I sin, the more grace I will receive. And that can be a danger, and I think is a danger in many churches today. That, uh, you know, now I am covered by grace, this amazing grace of God, it doesn't really matter how I live my life, the lifestyle that I actually has. And yet, it says quite clearly in the word, if that's where we're coming from, then actually, in fact, we are telling a lie. And we know, don't we, who the father of lies is. It's Satan. And it's very easy for us to pick on God's grace, but not realise the amazing cost that it was. And that in actual fact, what grace does, it encourages us to walk in the light, as it says here in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And so one of the, the wonderful things about walking in the light is that we can have fellowship with one another. As a church, we can enjoy one another's company. And as Christians, we should be walking in the light. Our lives should be transparent to one another. And as a fellowship together of God's people, we should actually have the ability of saying to one another, if we see error or we see people moving in sin or saying things which are ungodly, we should, as fellow believers, have the ability of saying, do you really believe that that is bringing joy to God's heart? Do you really believe that as a, uh, as, as a member of God's family you should be doing this or you should be doing that? We should be challenging one another. And part of church membership, however difficult it may be, will include discipline. There are times when pastors and ministers in church have to discipline the congregation because what they see is something within a person's life that is hindering their walk with God. And perhaps not only hindering their walk with God, but also hindering the walk of the fellowship in the church. Because you see, when you leave this place and you go out into Hurstman Zoo, people will know that you've been here. And what you do and what you say will come under observation. And if you are beginning to live an ungodly life, if your language is not as it should be, if your actions are not as you could should be, not only is it a reflection on you, but it is also a reflection on the family of God of which you are part of. And therefore we need to be very much aware of what is going on in these verses and what John is seeking to say to us here. Now the next thing he says is in verse 8, which is, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Now, this is actually called humanism. So we move on from antinomianism to humanism. And uh, humanism, as John says here, is quite clear. What I'm saying is, I am essentially good. Humanists say, I am essentially good. And I believe that the power of the human spirit, the power of the human intellect, actually, and the culture in which I'm part of, is improving every day. It's getting better. And uh, John says quite clearly here, if that's what you think, you're deceiving yourself. Because you've only got to look at the world in which you live. Are we, in actual fact, getting better? Is the world a better place than it was a few years ago? Is, has man's inhumanity to man changed? What about the richer getting richer and the poor getting poorer? Is that a better way that's coming through in our lives? We know that's not the truth, don't we? And if you're holding that position, then in fact the Bible says here that you're actually deceiving yourself and you're deceiving other people. And uh, I'm sure, you know, as we look at our own lives, we cannot actually claim to be without sin. We know, don't we, um, you know, that there is that element within us um, which grieves God. And then the final and third thing that we find is here in verse 10, which says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. And so here we're actually talking about perfectionism. And uh, how many of you here this morning think they're perfect? Oh, that's interesting. How many of you think the person next to you is perfect? (laughs) We're not, are we? We all know that there are are imperfections um, in our character and there are imperfections um, in our lifestyle. And yet, you know, there are those um, who say, well, I am now perfect. I've been made perfect. The reality is we know that that is not the truth. And by saying that, we're actually calling God a liar because he knows us. He knows exactly what you're like. You might look perfect on a Sunday when you come to church, but actually half an hour later at home, you might suddenly realise you're not quite as perfect as everyone else thought you were um, when you were together in church. And so we all know we have got this bias which can actually lead us to areas of imperfection. But the other point is, and I think this is really the wonderful part that we've got in Scripture here, is that verse 9, which I mentioned to you earlier on, and as we prayed the general confession together, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what is confession? Well, basically, confession is agreeing with what God has said about sin. And it's an acknowledgement of the guilt and of the things in our lives that actually are creating problems for us, probably creating problems for other people, but more importantly, are actually giving um, grief to God. And so here in this short passage, um, John is dealing with these three errors that are creeping into the church. And he wants to make it very clear 
that uh, if we claim to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And if we claim that we have not sinned, we call God a liar. So he's making this point, but then he's going on to say, actually, there is always the ability to come to God in sincere confession with a real sense of, of repentance, a real sense of asking for God's forgiveness for those things which have hurt and which have grieved, grieved him. And so <coughs> confession actually, not it's only putting us right with God, but actually confession also can put us right with one another. And just this morning, I'd like us just to bow our heads in prayer just for a few seconds and just to examine our own hearts and our own lives and say, are any of these errors actually there in my life? Are there still times when I actually walk in darkness? Times when I read things which I shouldn't be reading, I look at things that I shouldn't be looking at, I hear things which I shouldn't be listening to. Are we actually claiming to be without sin? Are we saying, I'm always right and it's everyone else that's wrong and walking out of step? Are we arrogant enough to say, I have not sinned? Just in the quietness, let's just confess before God anything that he's laid upon our hearts as we've been reading his word this morning. He's a faithful God, he's a just God, and he is a loving God. He is light and he shines his light into our lives, but he is also love. And this morning, as you confess your sins to him, his promise is that he will forgive you. He will take away any sense of guilt, any sense of fear of judgment, because through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, he will purify our hearts and will cleanse us from all that is unrighteous. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you will touch our hearts afresh. Pray that you will cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. Pray that you will purify our minds. I pray, Father, that your spirit will indwell each one of us. And through the power of that indwelling Holy Spirit, we may, day by day, become more like your Son. 
Thank you so much for showing us what you are like. A God of justice and yet a God of love. A God of light and yet a God of mercy. We don't deserve your forgiveness. But we thank you that as we come into your presence and acknowledge our sin and confess it before you, we are cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you that that's what our communion service this morning has reminded us, that his body was broken and that his blood was shed, that we can know your forgiveness and through repentance and faith can become your children, adopted into your family, saved by your amazing grace. Let us never take grace lightly, Lord. Let us always realise how much it cost you. We thank you for Jesus. We bless his holy name. Amen.